Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know, brought to you by betonline.ag and Indeed, our wonderful sponsors. Mason, it has been quite a while. A lot has happened since our last podcast in which we discussed the Drew Holiday trade, including the Drew Holiday trade expanding and becoming bigger and becoming this monstrosity that it did. How you been? What's going on with you? The season is about to start ASAP. Yeah, you say it's been a long time, but it, I mean, it's been like a couple of weeks, but it just feels like it's been forever just because so much has happened. <laughs> it's been, uh, but uh, yeah, things are, things are going good. Um, Thanksgiving was nice, nice socially distanced time, but ate some good food and took a little break from work and now getting back at it. Actually, um, I know we're both traveling soon, but um, I'm heading down to Florida to work from a warmer city for a month since you know, we could, we're all working remotely these days and I had the flexibility to do that, fortunately. Uh, and so we're going to just enjoy the warmer weather instead of just being stuck inside in zero degree Chicago when it gets cold this, uh, this winter. So well, I hope you that. enjoy the weather yeah. down there uh, and you don't run into Florida, man. And uh, <laughs> that could put a damper on your trip. In any case, you're right. A lot has happened in the NBA and with the Pelicans. There was some breaking news last night that happened very quickly. Uh, Russell Westbrook got traded for John Wall and a first-round pick. So that's pretty interesting. Um, I thought that was a great trade for the Wizards, personally. I, I think if you're gambling on John Wall, who hasn't played a meaningful basketball game in I don't know how many years, and you're trading him for an all-NBA third team guy, I mean, I know everyone loves to 
crap on Russell Westbrook, sometimes for good reason, he's still a productive NBA player that is going to help Bradley Beal, unfortunately for me. Um, and, and I think fortunately for us, though, Houston gets worse, in, in my opinion. And they just don't have a – I don't think they have a future in Houston. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I share your sentiments on it being a good move for, um, for, for the Wizards to exactly what you said. Like, it's – Russ – I think we can all agree that we're fit with Russ and Harden was not, not great. I mean, it, they had their ups and downs and I know that Russ was a little hurt in the bubble and there were some, I mean, that was not a fair representation um, in, of a decent amount of teams, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're trading a, you're getting a guy who's borderline all NBA, like quasi all-star at minimum. Uh, and you only had to give up a protected first to swap out John Wall's John Wall's contract for him. And, and John, I mean, I'm not saying John Wall can't be a good player. I mean, he's only 30, but he hasn't played in two years coming off an Achilles injury. You just, it's a huge unknown. And I just, I thought that I fully expected Houston to get more in a, in a wall. I think you and I both talked about how that it felt like the only, a lot of people thought about that. That was one of the full, few moves that made sense, but I thought that Houston would have, to, would, have would get more draft capital than they got. Um, mm, I do not players. agree with you there. I am really, yeah, absolutely. I think they're lucky that they got any draft capital. I really think, that they were they had no negotiating power at all. I don't think it was a credible threat that they were going to go into the season with both those guys okay. and and willing to hold on to that. I think that is a ticking time bomb for the whole franchise to explode. And now they're still trying to salvage the James Harden situation. No one wants the Russell Westbrook contract. And the only way to, to get Russell Westbrook is to find a team that doesn't really want to bottom out and has large money to spend. And that's why – that's why Washington made a natural fit, but I don't, I could not see any team giving them any value. And I, I, I really thought I was, I was going back and forth with Rockets fans. I'm like, you guys are delusional. If you're thinking of getting anything out for Russell Westbrook. I mean, I, I think he would, he was tradable. You know, I'm just, I, I was on the side of like, you should consider yourself lucky. You're not having to add any kind of incentive for people to take him. Yeah. I, I mean, if they're, if the, the worst case scenario is everything just, fucking explodes and James Harden is also forcing his way out um, and then on certain terms. And yeah, I mean, I, I hear you just because there's so few destinations you risk, realistically could go to. I guess I'm thinking um, more from a, just a sheer player value perspective. I, I don't think it's particularly close between Ross and John Wall. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely hear you from like a negotiating leverage perspective. There wasn't a lot that Houston could say, well, if, you, if you're not going to do this, then we're going to go do that. It's like, okay, good luck. <laughs> and, and then the Wizards hang up the phone because I mean, John Wall, the Wizards look at John Wall the same way we looked at Drew Holiday, right? I mean, they, he's a guy who's been uh, nothing but, I mean, despite the injuries, he's been nothing but great to the city, to the franchise and the fans love him. And so it's, if, if the, if the Wizards want to keep him, I know that there is some noise between him and Bradley Beal, but it's, I think it's much less, tenuous of a situation there than you've got in Houston. And so, and, and also you're not looking at the same type of expectations with that Wizards team than you are maybe with the Rockets. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, enough about the Houston Rockets and the Washington Wizards. That was a fun trade. The Pelicans, they went ahead and add Steven Adams to the Drew Holiday trade, which has been a topic for discussion and I wanted to get your thoughts on both the cost required to get Steven Adams and then the subsequent extension slash fit of Steven Adams. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think all when all is said and done, I think I, I, I'm happy with the, the trade, the return and, and, and the extension, all things packaged together um, in a vacuum. I think the I think the acquisition cost of Steven Adams is a little, little steep, um, but not like crazy steep where if you're buying him as also this, this locker room culture setter, uh, the, the asshole who this team hasn't really had in a long time. Um, I'm very supportive of that. I think that's something that the national media and other folks may not get the same way that local people do because this team has had such soft spoken leaders for years um, and the, the one time we had a guy who was a little more outspoken boogie, I mean, that you know, we could, but I feel like maybe not worth rehashing that, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it was a good, it's a good move. All things considered. I think the extension was very fair. Um, I, it seems like the noise that's coming out around it is just like, Oh, does he fit with Zion? And I think, you know, I think you and I are pretty much 
uh, in agreement about the ways a, a guy like Steve Adams can fit with Zion, even without the shooting aspect. But we can we can dig into the on-court fit. But from a value perspective, I'm you know the the trade coupled with the extension maybe a slight overpay based on pure basketball on court stuff. But I think overall, if he lives up to what the team wants him to be for this franchise off the floor as well, I think I, I have no, no issues at all with, with the move. Yeah, I hear you. And I mean, I agree. That's, that's a level take. I do think that like, if you asked me even a month ago, would I give up a first round pick, you know, some movable salary, the ability to use, our exceptions, the mid-level exception and the biannual exception, all of that stuff for Steven Adams, um, a center that can't shoot and then invest $17.5 million per year into Steven Adams. I would, I really would have laughed. I would have been like, that's a terrible move. <laughs> um, you know, because I've been beating that drum all year with, with favors. I'm like, you don't want to pay favors. Uh, you don't want to pay any big man that can't shoot. That isn't a long-term fit with Zion. And um, you don't want to give up assets for them because not that big men aren't useful. I mean, obviously they're being reintroduced into the league because of what the Lakers and the Nuggets and all these other teams did. I I still don't really buy into that. Um, But you can get production and good big men for relatively cheap. You know, teams just give away good big men. And, you know, you look at a guy like Steven Adams, let's just talk strictly like on court play you know, Hassan Whiteside signed for the minimum contract, right? No one wanted him. Uh, Aaron Baines signed for less than the full MLE, right? Steven Adams is probably an equivalent player, maybe better, uh, definitely better in some areas to those players. But when you look at the cost of getting them versus the cost of getting someone like that, you're just like, okay, why, why would I do something like that? And so that really tells me, one, the Pelicans are super high on his cultural fit. And and that's what they're paying the premium for. Two, you know, they're not concerned with the offensive fit with regards to Zion and everybody else. Um, But they are concerned with Zion and and perhaps even Jackson Hayes' ability to play the five and and be ready to play the five. And so they really wanted to lock down that spot um, with what, what was, what I think, a term that the team used to describe Steven Adams as a cultural touchstone. Um, so they wanted to lock down that spot and that's essentially what they're paying for. And, and so the argument I guess needs to be is, is culture worth paying that price for? And if it, if it works, like you said, it's yeah. I mean, it's a, still a steep price nonetheless, but it'll be, it'll be worth it. You know, if, if it's, if it turns out to be more of the same where, you know, it's just, okay, well you have one guy who is rah, rah, rah. And the others are just kind of, lifeless and listless then you know you you start wondering like should I really invest in all these resources in in a center so I think you know there's a fair argument as to if they should have done it clearly they they believe that this is what is needed for the team you know you you solidify the back line you you bring in a guy that's going to bring a defensive presence um which we can talk about his his specific game in, in a little bit um you bring a guy that's basically going to be the enforcer and protect Zion for the next three years. You know, that's the idea, protect Zion. And then, you know, we'll decide what direction we want to go in. That's fine. I, I get the logic and rationale behind it. Um, you know, in, in a vacuum, you know, you look at Steven Adams, the player, and there's, there's a lot to like, but this deal wasn't done in a vacuum. And, and you just wonder what else could have been had with those resources. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. I think I think if you you know, wind the clock back on me and, and and told me how that's this is how the offseason would go as far as um, you know if you told me what the Drew trade was and then said project out the rest of the offseason, um, yeah, I wouldn't have seen this coming. Um, and what I, I don't think I would have been thrilled. I, I don't think I would have been you know really bummed about it. Yet you said you would have laughed, but I, I don't think I would have gone that far. But I, I think also. Um, I, I really do feel like the extension is fair and you and you and me, Jason, we've all talked about the, the fact that it's that, that two years is a good, good number. It gives him, it gives you a nice tradable salary in the year he's coming up. Um, if you feel like you need it. Um, and, you know, I, I just, the, the, I, when I break it down to this individual parts, like that 2023 protected nuggets pick that we gave up, like I expect that to be a late round pick. That's like, that, that feels like close to the prime year for 
um, for the Nuggets with Jokic and Murray and even Mike uh, Maga Porter Jr. Um, when he, uh, you know, in a few years for him. So like, it's not even that the- <laughs> I caught what you said there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, and it's, it's, so it's not like that pick has, it was expected to have a ton of value, but, um, but yeah, I mean, no, I, I definitely hear you on that. I, I, the one thing I am less worried about than, um, then it sounds like you might be is, is the opportunity cost of the, of the, the cap, ex- the mid-level and the biannual. I think my, my concern is how close we are to the hard, t- sorry, not hard cap to the luxury tax line right now. It limits what you can do from here on out because you're just so damn close, unless you're making a bigger move to trade someone else. Um, can't imagine who, but trade someone else and, and reduce some, some money. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at who, at what the, some of the contracts that were going out there for the MLE after the, you know, throughout and, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what, what's the, get, I guess, give me the MLE and even if you don't want to use a biannual, but give me the signing that you would have made with that, uh, you know, w- with that exception, if you could, if you could have that, that's maybe a reasonable path. Look, Crowder took two years, 19, he took a two year deal in the MLE, which mm-hmm. if you offered him three years, does he say no? Is it bad to offer him three years? I don't know. I was going to ask you that. Is it bad to offer him three years? That's kind of where I would have been. Yeah, I, I, I probably not because, again, that's a very movable salary, $10 millions a year uh, for, for Jay Crowder, who is how old? Hold on one second. Jay Crowder, age. He's 30 years old, so 30 to 33. Um, you know, he's going to be that guy. And, again, he brings a lot of the whole cultural – uh presence he's a rah-rah kind of guy he gets in people's faces he's annoying to play against um I don't know maybe he would have taken that deal Robin Lopez one year I think six or seven million if you offered him the one year full nine does he in, in a starting role does he say no um you know I don't I don't know you know Aaron Baines is the other guy who took less than the MLE does he does he take more if you offered him that full MLE for two years and guarantee that second year then again, you know, Aaron Baines is 34 and the first, he was really hot for the first half of the last year. Then he kind of fizzled off and then he had injuries. So is he even a good player? I don't know. The advanced stats aren't so friendly on him. So, I mean, I, I can go both ways on that. It's yep. just one of those things that's going to be impossible to know, just like it's going to be impossible to yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. You can, well, you could have turned, you know, Miller and, and Hills expiring in a first into. Um, that's true. Or, or the, any the, the other whole piece specifically is, yeah, it's a good point with, with George Hill too, because that's, you know, you, you're, you're giving him up to, well, I guess we'll see what OKC does with him. I think he's worth at least a, a second uh, or, or two. Maybe they, maybe he, he gets significant burn for them and he gets moved near the deadline. I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's the additional cost I didn't mention. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's, there's pros and cons to both of that, which, which is fine, which is, which is whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's done. I am now at the stage where I'm going to root for the move to pan out, obviously. Um, root for Steven Adams to be a great fit. Root for it to be a cultural transformation for, from what it was. And if all that works, and, you know, if he's this guy that really works out under uh, Stan Van Gundy, uh, that's fantastic. You know, stability is underrated when it comes to this team. This team hasn't had much or any ever. Um, and so if he can be a studying presence, which is again, a huge if with this franchise with regards to people who get hurt, you know, uh, but if he can, he's been pretty durable for his whole career, but we, we know how the story goes when people get here. Um, yeah, if he can be that studying presence and, and he provides that cultural transformation, that, that could be a, a pretty big win for the Pelicans. The one thing I did want to touch on a little bit, you know, people talk about bringing in um, a stretch guy and specifically Miles Turner. Miles Turner was a hot name for the Pelicans for quite some time um, in the Pelicans Twitter sphere, Reddit sphere, online sphere. And I want to take some time to talk about it because I feel like I'm a little bit validated here. Nobody wants him. Nobody <laughs> wants him. So little bit of, my Texas guy. Come a, on. A little a little bit of background here. A little bit of background. Um the Boston Celtics, they tried to sign and trade Gordon Hayward to the Indiana Pacers, who really, really wanted him, right? They had wanted nothing to do with Miles Turner. They called pretty much every team in the league, and they said, you want Miles Turner? 
And they all said no. They wouldn't even take Miles Turner and a pick. They would rather lose Gordon Hayward for nothing, which was a real scenario until they somehow finessed that big old trade exception. But they would have rather lost Gordon Hayward for nothing than take Miles Turner and a pick. And they were squeezing for more. They were like, you got to give us more. And they even called the Pelicans. I'll tell you that. They called the Pelicans. and The Pelicans only know we don't want him. Nobody in the league wants him. You have all these guys who run teams that don't want Miles Turner. And again, if you watch him play, you're going to go long stretches of the game without noticing him and be like, how does this guy impact the game? Where is he? How do I feel his presence? And I think in a way he's the opposite of Steven Adams where, you know, no one thinks they can beat Steven Adams up, but I'm not sure if guys feel that way around the league about Miles Turner. And um, I just wanted to, to get on my soapbox there real quick for, for that. That was a, a very interesting bit of reporting that came out um, with, you know, and it's consistent with everyone that I've asked like around the league that, you know, like what's up with this and they're like, yeah, no, no one wants them. No one wants anything to do with them. Yeah, poor. I feel like this is like a becoming a, a trend with, I, I don't know, I guess we'll see with Jared Allen, but like the Texas centers, hopefully Jackson Hayes can bucket. Like, I guess, um, the, the, the jury's still out on Jared Allen. I feel like the, the conversation around New Orleans when we were talking about potential Drew trades with Jared was more like, well, we've got a guy we think can be what, Je- what Jared Allen is or more in Jackson Hayes. So he, that, he doesn't really make sense to put him as part of this trade package. Um, and then you've got Miles Turner, former, they, they're all like, I feel like they're all this, uh, in similar molds. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, you, you start out with Mo Bamba, <laughs> who, who's been like, I know he's been pretty, pretty brutally injured. Uh, for a lot of his career, but he's really hasn't really panned out that great. Miles Turner got a big contract, and now, yeah, like you're saying, teams are saying, ah, we, you know, we'll pass. Thanks, though. And like, and then you've got Jared Allen and Jackson Hayes. Just weird. These 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 lanky, like tall centers. They've got a type, and um, you know, like I said, hopefully, hopefully, Jax is uh, turns out to be um, that guy. But I mean, I guess is it, we we got to put this in like in context, right? Like we're talking about Miles Turner as teams don't want him as like an 18 million a year type player. It's not like, you know, if, 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 if he was on a, a more reasonable contract, I think he needs to be quicker to pull the trigger on that. Yeah. They don't want to saddle their cap with that guy. It's right. not like they want, you know, it's not like they'll be like, Oh, he's in a minimum contract. We're turning him away. No, he's an NBA player and teams will play him as an NBA player. But yeah, you're right. They don't want to saddle their cap with the money that he's making, which is interesting because, you know, like Jared Allen was up for a payday. Um, the good thing is Jackson Hayes is far away from a payday and the jury is still kind of out on him. And I guess the idea is, you know, bringing in a guy like Adams for the duration of Jackson's rookie contract, he can pick up a thing or two specifically on the personality side. Um, TBD again, we don't really know how that's going to, to work out, but I mean, you know, Sam and Gundy mentioned that no one's going to be punking the new Orleans Pelicans. And I think that was a pretty big component of, their off season and who they went and acquired. Let's go back to do it big. Let's do it. Yeah. Won't big down doubt. Won't <laughs> do it big. I don't know. Uh, but you're right. So the other, other, you know, component of the trade was Eric Bledsoe, which is whether you're going to keep him or we're not going to keep him. Is he going to stink up the locker room, which I think were real concerns. Right. And Bledsoe's value from the bubble, like a lot of players in the bubble, took a pretty big hit. You know, he kind of has a stink upon him, like Montrez Harrell did, Paul George did, um, you know, with the Pelicans' own Lonzo Ball. Uh, a lot of players start, struggled in the bubble for one reason or another. Um, Russell Westbrook, we, we just talked about. He was a really, really good player in the regular season, and he was a really good player the last two regular seasons. He struggled in the playoffs, which is fine, which might not even be a concern here. But, you know, for the regular season, he's a damn good player. And, again, we, we kind of discussed, we had an argument about what percent of Drew he is, and it's a, it's a good percent, you know. Uh, whatever that specific amount is, is, it's re- is irrelevant, but it's a good percent of Drew. It gives you a good amount of what Drew brought to the table. But as far as personality goes, you know, Drew was more laid back and easygoing. Eric Bledsoe has a, a very much like fuck you attitude about him, which is great, which is what the team has needed for a while. And and I think that's what the, that's what the team is excited about with him as well as he, he has like this insatiable desire to be good and, and just love for the game, which again, not all, not all players have. So I think, if you draw a line between all their acquisitions, it's this, you know, David Griffin mentioned himself as these fierce competitors. 
Um, the locker room component, I think, was a big concern. And I think they they have dissuaded that or they have you know nullified that concern. Uh, I think Bledsoe is completely bought in. Um, he's already active on social media, posting and liking a lot of Pelicans things. Uh, I heard that they did – Sam Van Gundy and David Griffin did quite a sell job with him. And he's it, Bledsoe is genuinely excited to to be with the Pelicans. So that that was my major concern with him. Is he is he just gonna pout while he's here? Yeah, plot twist. He does want to be here. How about that? Um, <laughs> Tweet it out, baby. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, it's awesome. I mean, you look at. I mean, even thinking back to the podcast we did with Nikias, like talking about heat culture and how it's a real thing. I mean you not every team very few teams have that kind of culture and so and the pelicans were on the other end of the spectrum of not really having anything close to that kind of culture and so i think anything you can do to get there especially when you have a team of young players around them to put those right vets in place and again this is no disrespect to drew to favors to to each one but they're just more soft-spoken guys and there's nothing wrong with that but you need to have these other voices in the in the locker room and and in practice who can really get on guys and so I, i think putting voices like that next to impressionable type young players like Ingram and like uh, Lonzo and, and Zion and Jax and go on and on. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see this team kind of build together um, in, in the in, in next season. I mean, it's going to be it's certainly gonna be an uphill climb. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I called out uh, like yesterday was, and maybe uh, I'm curious to get your perspective on this is like, I, I think, I think we're in for a rocky start. Um, I think that the combination of having a bunch of new players on this team and, and major roles with the fact that we have a shortened off season and, and lack of training camp or, or long training camp to really get players oriented. And we don't even know, I mean, uh, knock on wood, but you know, there, there were 50, pos- 50 or so positive COVID tests around the league already. Who knows if one, one or two of the Pelicans are in that number, I guess we can start to try to back into it based on who they give me, who we get with media availability. But I mean, there's a lot of things working against New Orleans to start the season um, with and from a continuity perspective. Um, and so I think it's a good move that they only schedule two preseason games and have more time to practice and, and they can just do five on five scrimmaging. And that's what that's something that I think uh, was it Stan said that they're going to try to do to get get conditioning up as quickly as possible is just is do more do more running uh, and actual pl- game playing. But um, it could be it could be a challenge. I mean, is that is that how you see it or do you um, do you have a different opinion? No, definitely. And and let's kind of talk about that accelerated timeline and and kind of the schedule that's been released so far, right? So the Pelicans are playing on Christmas and then they have two preseason games before that to get ready. So, you know, two is the fewest in the league. Some, you know, a few other teams have two, but it's it's the minimum that you could have. And typically with when Alvin was Alvin Gentry was here, they would take three or four games, play expanded uh, rotations, get all the young guns in, get all the 10-day 10 10 guys in, get them some run, and then the last two games they would tighten up and it would be closer to stuff. So I have no idea what the rotations are going to look like these two preseason games. You know, is it one game for goofy run time and then another game for what, what does this look like? Or both games, you know, we're going to keep it pretty tight and close to what it's going to look like in the real season because you just don't have much time to work with. I don't know. You know, they don't, they don't have much exper- experimental time. Um, and then, like you said, there's such a quick turnaround between training camp and, and the season starting. Uh, Christmas is, is when the Pelicans first play officially. And so how they handle that, I, I have no idea. So let's kind of like walk down the rotation scenario, right? Do we agree the starters are uh, Lonzo Bledsoe, bi zion and adams yep yep. okay i don't see any yeah i don't see any way that's not the case (laughs) okay so given that those guys are the starters my opinion is that we're gonna see maybe one or two of those guys get over 30 minutes a game at least for the first month or so does that sound unreasonable no i think that's definitely i mean you got to start at BI, right? Just if you look, I mean, we'll talk down the depth chart, but I don't know what else you got behind him in terms of a, a, a wing with size. So I think he's, he's my minute leader for this team this year. Yes. Minute leader for the team uh, plays a thin position. He's going to be your guy. I think, I think they're really going to feed him. They're really going to turn the offense more to him and, and Zion, of course, but you know, they're really going to enable him in a way that he wasn't enabled last year, which, 
was a really good year for him. You know, he made the all-star game and had career highs all across the board. Uh, but I think it's an, it's another step in his, in his development. So I agree. I think he's probably going to lead, um, lead that unit in, in minutes, but you know, if, if everyone else is around that 30 minute mark or underneath it, I think, you know, Bledsoe and Adams the last season, both of them played around 26, 27 minutes a game. They're probably going to get around 25, 26 with this team to start off with. I don't think they're going to get more than that. Um, because one, you have to figure, you still have to figure out what you got in these young players. And, and you got a lot of young players. You know, I think Lonzo will get his minutes. Um, you need to give him minutes. You need to give him touches to to figure out who he is before you have to pay him or you're going to move him. Um, which is funny because this is the – you can call it a mistake, but this is uh, the approach that Dell used to take, right, where he would try to hold on to a guy so he didn't sell him on pennies on the dollar to try to improve his value. And then that value would never improve. So it, you almost want to act sooner rather than later, but you know, Lonzo is, is a, is an interesting case because maybe there is a future where they want to retain him. And so you, you got to figure out what you got, but at least with, with the keel Alexander Walker, there is no each one more getting in his way. There's no Frank Jackson getting in his way. Um, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. You're going to have a certain Senator in your Twitter mentions. Um, but or was it a congressman? I don't know what he was. Um, but yeah, so you know, there. This is the time to give more leash to Nikhil, figure out what he is, and then scale back on him. Right? Um, maybe maybe Kyra breaks into the rotation. Although I'm I'm less optimistic on that. But you know, the, there's a possibility if they're running 11 deep, he's going to get minutes. With with the center rotation, you know, you have Adams. You know, 25, 26 minutes a game. That's kind of what he played last year, which is I wouldn't expect him to get more um on average right I think in certain matchups and then in close games he's probably going to get a lot more uh it's going to be very fluid but on average you know there's going to be games where he plays a lot less uh you got to figure out which I haven't looked at that I'm curious I don't know if you have have you seen uh, one thing I don't know about Stan is, is how deep he usually runs with rotations have you looked at that for him in past teams I haven't but I have a feeling this is not going to be up to Stan (laughs) <laughs> fair enough and 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 i'm not gonna say like you know like griff has like the power here or what the pirate dynamic is i really think it's going to be one of those situations where they are going to play it conservatively because of the short off season and because of um the accelerated nature yes. and not rushing to injuries i think it's strictly going to be from an injury prevention Yep. standpoint where where you know you just got to play a deeper rotation to begin with and you can tighten it up later yeah and, and i think that's exacerbated with the fact that now you have this and i keep forgetting about it i'm not going to forget anymore there's a play there's a play-in again this year and so like all you really got to do is be in the top 10 and if you're in the top 10 and you're healthy you, you've got a chance and so i think even not that health wasn't a, a, a important before but you've got a couple extra spots now to at least be in in the race to get into the playoffs I agree. And I think like, you know, if, if let's say Christmas, right. The first half, they might hit 11 guys, but if it's a close game, like, you know, the second half, they might only play eight. Um, so it's not one of those things. There's like, okay, you played 11 then you're going to play 11 the whole game. I think, you know, definitely they're going to narrow it down as needed and, and whatnot. That's what coaches do. So I get that. Um, but it's just one going to be one of those things. It's like wherever you can try to steal minutes for other guys just to keep them healthy. Cause you know, the whole, stupid like ramp up thing that they had with the bubble and they're like okay well we didn't have enough ramp up time and yada 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 yeah I mean the last thing you want is Zion or another like burst play restriction because of all this nonsense so that's that's at least my approach there um what's going to be interesting is you know like how many how many minutes one Jackson Hayes gets because there, there's another capable backup center that they signed now which is uh Willie Hernan Gomez uh who I'd say is better than Jaleel Okafor um, as you know, you know, he's not going to like have those random games where he like wins those games for you, like the first Nuggets game or the or the Detroit game, where you know Okafor just made some of those centers look silly. Uh, you know, Hernan Gomez is not going to have that, but he is again, just a super tough, hard nosed rebounder and, and big man who's just going to do all the dirty work. Um, so you're going to get more steadiness out of him. You know, you're not going to get any like eruptions out of him. But you're going to get steadiness out of him. Um, and I think Jackson has real competition. And, and frankly, you know, it's on you as a team to invest in your eighth pick more. But I like that the fact that it's, his minutes aren't going to be for granted. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm a big, uh, I, I like the pickup and I, and I do think that he, he's the right, I think he's better than, than Ja, uh, for sure. He's, he's better for what this team needs, I think, as a bare minimum. I mean, the, I think the one thing that the, the, what New Orleans needed from their emergency center was not the skill set that Ja has. And that's not to say Ja is an, as an, an NBA player. I think he's got a, a spot in this league. Um, but I, I like the, what, what Hernan Gomez can do and how he's going to be able to push some of the other guys. And I think that's, you know, Melly and Jax have to start looking over their shoulder now. Uh, you know, Hernan Gomez is good enough to make that happen. And so even if, even if he doesn't play much, I think, I think his, um, you know, ability to be uh, tough in practice and, uh, again, push, push Melly, push Jax is, uh, is, is worth a, definitely worth a minimum contract. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes and Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From games, spreads, and totals, to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I think there will be times where the center minutes are spread to Melly, like you said, or or maybe even Zion. You know, I, I find it hard to imagine Zion plays zero minutes at center this year. Uh, which would be surprising if they did it. That would be really surprising. Um, but I find that hard to imagine. And and secondly, you know, kind of the flip side of that, uh, or, or similar, like, I guess, to that, is they have a bunch of guards on the team. They're not small guards, per se. I mean, Kyra is the smallest one at 6'3", but everyone else is like 6'5", 6'6", uh, six, six, right? They have a bunch of those type of guards on the team, and there's probably going to be a lot of lineups where they juice the, the pace and, the, and, and, I guess, the spacing by playing a lot of their quicker perimeter players. Um, because they are thin on the wing spot. And, and you're going to see guys like Nikhil, who is, I guess, reportedly 6'6", you know, he's probably going to play one through three. Josh Hart is probably going to play some power forward. Um, they're going to get creative with that kind of stuff. So I'm interested. I wonder if that's why they really focused on bringing in powerful rebounders like Hernan Gomez, like Adams, because that was kind of the problem with small lineups when you when with Alvin Gentry is one – you know, the big men couldn't rebound. It'd be like Julie Okafor, Melly, or Zion. They couldn't rebound. Um, and two, the guards couldn't rebound. Frank Jackson is one of the worst rebounders in the league, period. You know, Etwan Moore is one of the worst rebounders in the league, period. Um, and this goes back, right? You know, Ian Clark. Um, who else did we have? I don't know, just like a bunch of random small guards who, who can't rebound. And even when Darius Miller was healthy a couple of years back, you know, they can't rebound. And so you have multiple guys on the floor who, one, not only are you playing small, or two, they're like terrible at rebounding for their position. And so I think the team should get better on that front just because they eliminated the worst rebounders in the league. You know, Julio Okafor was a terrible rebounder for um, a defensive rebounder for, for his position. And, and replacing them with, one, better rebounders for their position, and, and two, you have all of these guards who aren't afraid to mix it up down low. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting, at least from a schematic standpoint. Yeah, um, for sure. And I, and I thought um, this, this kind of ties in nicely to what you were asking uh, some of the players and, and, and Stan about uh, in, the, in the pressers recently about the balance between rebounding and getting back on defense and, and uh, 
um, and, and stopping transition opportunities. And I think um, I thought the answer was interesting. And it also, you know, to me, a little bit conflicts with what we know to be true. Like, for example, um, like Josh Hart, Lonzo, those guys are, are good rebounders for their position. Um, but also, uh, you know, what I can't remember if it was Stan McGundy or Adams who said this to you, but talked about how the people, the, the, the non-rebounders got to get back. So, like, what if you have a lineup that's that's got Adams and Zion and Josh Hart and and, and Lonzo? Like, what's the plan? Like, you, they're all not going to rebound, and so I guess I guess it's what's gonna the be, plan, it's, Stan? <laughs> God damn it, man! <laughs> uh, uh, but no, I, I think it's a fair question. I understand. Like, is it very is it lineup dependent on who's rebounding and who's getting back? Like, um, I, I guess maybe if it's a, if we're talking offensive rebounding specifically. It's just a big thing, and you just send the guards back. Um, but, but I think it is. It is. It's nice to have a bunch of good rebounders uh, at multiple positions with, with this team. And I think it'll pay dividends big time on the defensive uh, defensive boards. I'm curious how they do in the offensive glass. Yeah, I mean, I to me it came across when when I asked Stan Van Gundy the question, he seemed a little bit caught off guard. It it, it seems like he would prefer they just focus on transition defense first, which makes sense because the Pelicans were like bottom of the league or league worse or, you know, bottom three in terms of transition defense. That's super important that they nail that, right? It's fundamental stuff. Um, so I think he, he would approach it in a way where they focus on transition defense first, and then they start opening up the flexibility to go pursue rebounds. And I think, he talked a lot about rebounding rules. And so to me, that means he's probably going to have strict rules like, okay, well, you know, if you're, you know, if you're above the the free throw line extended, then you got to get back. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in the corners, then I don't know, I'm making this up. Like, I don't know what the rules he's going to, he's going to have, but he's probably going to have certain criteria in terms of like when the shot goes off and who's allowed to rebound and who's just not allowed to rebound. Um, Adams is probably going to be someone that's allowed to rebound. Right. And, and teams often send two people, at Adams to, to kind of keep him off the blast. And so that's going to be an interesting one to watch, but it may just be like him for, to start and then everyone else get back and then they kind of open it up. And what happens, what happens when Lonzo wants to rebound for, or this is not a a Lonzo dig. I know people get used to that, but like just any guy in a contract here who's trying to get numbers. And like, I can see Lonzo being like, well, I'm a good rebounder and I want people to know that I'm a good rebounder. I want the stats to show that I am, but you're telling me to go get back on defense. Like I feel like, and not just like, like I said, if it was other players like Josh Hart too, Josh Hart's in a contract year and, and he's a good rebounder. So it's, it, it applies to both those guys. Like I, I wonder if, if there's any, uh, I, you know, I, I think again, if we're talking just on the offensive glass, maybe it's not as big of a deal. Um, but I, I am curious how things like that play in and, and, and that's going to be uh, a job for Stan to, to manage. Yeah. And so, you know, one first you have, you know, you have positive reward and you have punishment, right? So like positive rewarding is okay. Well, you guys have your fill on the defensive end, you know, Adams, we've got him extended, whatever his stats don't particularly, I mean, I'm sure he cares about his stats, but not, he said he doesn't, right. Um, You know, he's going to box out. You guys go grab and go um, get the rebound on the defensive side, start the break, right? You're going to score easy points. You're going to get assists. You can get rebounds, easy way to rack up stats, really crash the defensive glass, right? That's positive reinforcement. You're giving them a job to do um, and you're helping them boost their stats. The The punishment aspect of it is like, dude, if you're just going to chase stats, we're going to, we're going to bench you. That's it. And and good luck getting a contract if, if you're playing less minutes and if you're going to be, if you're going to be benched, because there are a lot of other guys in the team that are hungry for minutes or hungry for a role that'll happily take that spot and happily do what, what you're refusing to do. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I trust Dan to, to manage it and handle it and the rest of the coaching staff, but, um, but just something that, that, that uh, I, was, I was thinking about. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting to watch. And I guess since you touched on both of their contract situations, what do you expect is going to play out um, with, with regards to both of them? Do you think, you know, I think they have until – they have December something, you know, I think before the season starts to iron out an extension. Um, I could be wrong. There's someone fact check me, but you know, they, they, they have a certain date, I think. And maybe, or do you think that's going to happen? Do you think they kind of kick the can down the road um, until the trade deadline and see if they want to keep them on the team? And then do you, or do you think, you know, uh, they just play it out the whole season and let them hit restricted free agency. Like what, what, what's the approach you take with either of them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think not much has changed in my stance, and I assume yours as well about Lonzo. I think you wait um, and you figure figure it out next summer. Um, 
I, I think there's, I don't think he's interested in getting a deal done, especially given the, the chain of representation of clutch. He's trying to maximize his own um, max as he should be trying to maximize what he's going to be able to make. On I'm the sure he's interested summer. if you give him a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't think that the Pelicans would get to a number with, with, with Lonzo and with clutch that they'd be willing to give right now. And so uh, the question comes down to Josh Hart. And I've been back and forth on this because when, when free agency was looking to play out the way it was before Steven Adams, uh, we brought Steven Adams in and gave him that extension. I said, okay, if we're trying to hoard cap space for next summer, for some reason, you, you wait on Josh Hart. Um, but now that Steven has this extension um, and I, I, I got to go back to the cap sheet for next summer and see, see where the Pelicans are, but I, I would be okay still extending him. Um, yeah, they're in just, an in-between place where they can yeah. create room if they wanted to, or, or they can act as above the, the cap. They're, they're, they're in that complete in-between place. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and I guess I'm in the same spot with, with Josh Hart. Like, I mean, I feel like if you can extend him right now and, and get a price that you think is fair for what he gives you, then I'm very, I'm still okay with it. I, I like his place in this team. I want him to be on this team for, uh, for the next few years, but um, I don't know what, what Griff's thinking as far as next summer. And so it's hard to really answer that, that question without being inside his head. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, again, it's hard for me to give a definitive answer on which way I would want to go without knowing that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think, you know, where I disagree is, like, I, I wouldn't let the Lonzo situation play out. I think I'd, I'd move him the first opportunity I get. I Even if it's for what people would think is pennies on the dollar, um, I just don't know. I, I think the value of, of moving him, opening up minutes for others, and having clarity on your future is is more valuable than playing this game where – you don't know if he's good. And then, you know, he has a season where it's like last season. Okay. Well, he has a really hot streak and then he has some really low lows and you're kind of back in the same situation where you started. And, you know, you're like, do I sign this guy to an offer sheet? Do I let him go sign somewhere else to an offer sheet? Do I match? It just kind of, to me, that kind of uncertainty is, is unnecessary. And, and I rather have clarity going into my future. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, I'm the one I'm okay moving him. even if it feels like it's a, if it's the return is slightly lower than it should be. Um, I'm not there as far as trading him for pennies on the dollar, just because I think the role, if, if he buys into the role that I think fits on his, his, he fits. Like I really do feel like he fits on this team in a specific role. And if he's, if, if he buy, he'll buy in, I'm interested. But then of course, you get to this inevitable conclusion where if he does and he really thrives, excels in that role, he's still asking for this big paycheck. And I, I, I guess, you know, what do you, it, it depends on what the likelihood is that you see another team throwing him this huge offer sheet. And I, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm still okay. If, it, if it's too much to stomach, I'm okay letting him walk for nothing. Um, but uh, I, I guess it just, it just kind of depends on what the offers are for him. And it sounds like right now they're, they're not, they're not much of anything. And so I'm not worried about him taking other players' minutes this year because they didn't they didn't besides Bledsoe they didn't really add a ton else on the backcourt. They're just replacing Drew effectively, and so I think there's minutes to be had either way. Um, and so I'm I'm not as concerned about that. Yeah, uh, that's totally fair. Um, so you talked about his role a little bit. I asked this question on Twitter, and I wanted to get your thoughts. He you know, under Alvin Gentry, his touches per game increased basically every single month. And then from a three-month stretch, January to, to March, he was second in the league in touches per game. Like, Jokic was first. Uh, Lonzo was second. Like, Luka was third. You know, and then, like, Harden was fourth. You know, it was all those, like, high uh, high volume, high usage rate guys at the top and, and then at Lonzo. Um, when in March, before the league shut down, he was leading the league, actually, with, like, 107 touches per game, which is a lot of touches. Do you expect that to continue to him to not only like lead the Pelicans in touches? Well, I guess that's my first question. Do you think he leads the Pelicans in touches? And then do you expect him to that number to be, you know, really high? If so, like league lead league leading high or like top of the league high? No, I don't think so. Not, not, not under this 
uh, the way this team wants to play. And, and I mean, there's a correlation there, right? Like, actually, I don't know. Um, did that, did I, I'd be curious about how those numbers moved around with Zion in the lineup. Like, cause one, on one hand, it's another player who needs the ball. It's, on the other hand, Lonzo was great. Well, they, they went up Zion the ball. with Zion yeah. in the lineup. They went up. So Lonzo got yeah. more touches when Zion came back. And then in yeah. March when Zion, you know, then was playing full time, basically, you know, Zion was getting 49 touches a game just like nothing. And most of them, he was like passing away, right? He was just absurdly efficient with his, his, his shooting, but, you know, he was 113th in the league in touches per game. That's that's your franchise player right there. Um, and, and Lonzo was number one at 107. Now the counter is, you know, the Pelicans, that, that three-month stretch was also a three-month stretch of best basketball the Pelicans played in terms of win-loss, right? I think they went 17 and 12. Um, this is the best stretch that Lonzo played himself. That was the the Lonzo Renaissance per se, and so what? Like you know, like there's that argument. Okay, well he was the engine behind that, but then I think to me that gets back into the whole favors uh, argument. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, you either really believe in that lineup of favors and everything that that came with it, or you don't. Um, and so if you really believe in that lineup of favors, you, you know you might think it's sustainable. But like from from day one. You know, I've I've never bought into that lineup, and I have the same questions with that lineup with regards to inserting Bledsoe and Adams. You know, are they going to be able to replicate any of that? I, the idea is they're just better on defense. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's all fair, and I think I think the one the one area maybe, and this this gets a little bit away from the Lonzo point, but the one area that I think uh, some people aren't giving enough credit to is the impact that Stephen Adams screening can can do to open up things on offense and so i i'm with you like i don't i think there was and and i've i've shared the numbers on this like they've clearly they, they clearly beat the shit out of bad teams and didn't play well against good teams and like that's yeah holy, like, holy shit what a finding right but it, the numbers were astounding and, and how much they just crushed terrible teams and didn't do well at all against good teams. Like the, 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 there was a huge difference. And so the question is, you know, can they start to play well? Can this lineup play well against good teams? And um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think the shooting will come back down to earth a little bit. Um, and, but I do think that Steven Adams helps there. Um, and the question is, is and I really think Steven Adams and Bledsoe combined are an upgrade offensively on Drew and Favors. And so just uh, – and I don't know if it's pure talent-based, but I do think based on the skill sets of those two players – I think it's mostly because Favors was terrible on offense. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, was, he was – he really cratered you on offense. And, you know, he wasn't always like that. It was just that man could not move. And, right. And I think, you know, people are like, oh, well, Adams isn't a lob threat. Have you watched Adams? He's thrown down the fair – chair of lobs you know he, yeah. he's not he's not jackson hayes but that boy has a seven foot five wingspan and he can get up um he's gonna add a both vertical and horizontal um and basically any uh dimension you want uh dimension to the pelicans offense and yeah. i just basically everything outside of jump shooting he i would say he's better at than favors yep yep hey he made that long three against us though so maybe he's better at jump shooting sniper <laughs> um but uh yeah so I'm, I'm i'm excited to see i'm again just i don't know when things are going to come together but i think they will uh and i think it's 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 going to be fun to see this team under a new structure and i mean i i enjoyed the the, the pace and the and the way that we played under gentry but i also know it didn't really fit perfectly with the types of players that we had in terms of their ability to really take that t- structure in, or lack of structure and go with it. Um, and so I think this will be a, a better fit for, for, for this team. And so um, I think it'll be, it'll be good in time. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to the touches thing. So if you don't think Lonzo leads the team in touches, who, like what order would you, would you put it in? Um, I mean, I, I so Bledsoe feels like he's going to be towards the top, obviously. I guess – I mean, I'm, I want to say B.I., but also I guess he gets less touches, but his, frequ- his, his duration of touches are longer. But I think, he, I think he gets more touches this year than last year because there's more – they run more diff- creative plays and different types of plays for him that 
um, allows him to be more of a playmaker. And so I definitely see his touches overall going up. Um, but I guess just the lines of the type of player he is and the type of player that Stan wants him to be in, uh, as a guy who pushes in, 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 the, in transition and um, facilitates in, in the half court. I, I, don't think, I don't see Lonzo's touches going down significantly, but I do think they go, they go down. So I, I don't, I don't, I'd have to see last year's numbers and, and stare at them to, to, to stack rank based on what I think this year. But I, I feel like Bledsoe and BI will be at the top of the list. I mean, last year you had Lonzo at near 100 touches per game in that three-month stretch. And then you had BI at 65. Oh, and you had, and, and then you had, and then you had Zion at forty nine. You know, um, oh. okay. That's well, guess, how big of a gap it was. Yeah, I guess that. that so helpful context. Um, then, yeah, I don't. If the, if the gap's that wide, do you know what Bledsoe was in Milwaukee? I don't. Or what was what was Drew? Drew was like seventy. Oh yeah, I. Man, that's um, that's way more than I um, that I expected. Then I guess it would have to be pretty a pretty significant change in offensive philosophy to for Lonzo to fall below some of those guys. But I think, I mean, I think his numbers will come down. Yeah. So if I had to rank it, I would rank it BI number one, uh, Bledsoe two, Zion three, and then Lonzo four in terms oh. of touches this year. I think, I think so. And I think, I think Zion might actually end up number two. I think that's going to be a completely different, system and thing around Zion it kind of goes back into what Griff said about oh Zion may play the three which let's talk about that what do you think he meant when he said Zion may play the three um I think it's about I, I hate when when stuff like this pops up although I, I did enjoy the, the comment around BI being a two <laughs> but so I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here but with, with Zion I mean like I think we all know he's not ready to defend threes um but I think it's just about him being them envisioning him as a guy who can do a ton of stuff on the court and whether it's on offense or defense. And obviously the defense is going to come around long, uh, take longer to come around the offense. But I think it's more about that, like versatility. That's how I, that's how I interpret it. Not just like he's going to play small forward. Like he may, he may play with two guys that are bigger than him, but who knows how they're going to match up. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, you're right. It's, it's all about versatility and doing perimeter oriented things on the court on both, both ends. And I think that's another reason why we're going to see Zion's touches just ramp up because when you have two guys who are non-shooters, you cannot both have them without the ball. I think that just clogs up the paint. And so you're going to have, I think a lot of actions where they try to lift the offense by putting Steven Adams at the top of the key or something like that, where he's either screening for Zion, uh, handing off to Zion um, or screening for Zion off ball while BI is on the ball, you know, co- any combination of those three, um, they're going to do a lot more of, because again, I think if you're one making Zion, mostly a post-up guy, like he was under, under Alvin, it's a waste of his talents, but two, you're just inviting people to come over, whoever's guarding Steven Adams to, to just collapse the paint, come over and help. And so I think you got to involve those two in a lot of actions together to keep the help occupied and keep the help out of the way. And so um, I think it's going to look completely different. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm, and I, I fully expect that the, some changes to come as well. I, I think um, philosophically there, there's a pretty wide gap between Alvin Gentry and Stan Van Gundy. Um, they're, they each have their own successes, but I think, um, we're well. We're about we're about to see a very um, interesting shift in how the Pelicans play on both ends, and so um, I'm I, I'm at the point where I'm just like I'm not even trying to predict some of this stuff, um, but looking forward to seeing how it plays out. <laughs> okay, so I have one final question for you before we wrap this up, and that is, you know, outside of Zion and Brandon Ingram which Pelican player do you see making the biggest jump as a player or production or uh, impact this coming season? Hmm. Um, I think as far as overall jump, I would go with Nikhil just because he was 
not good last year. <laughs> like as far as rookies go, I, I mean, he wasn't Austin Rivers rookie bad. I, I, I don't know, actually, maybe he was with via the stats. Maybe he was almost that bad, but I think he's, it doesn't have to, like he's not starting, he's starting from the lowest point, I think. And so I could see him making a pretty decent jump. Um, I think in the eyes of people around the league, I could see that guy being Josh Hart. Um, I think, I think we, uh, we being the, the local people who follow the team, appreciate what he was able to do for New Orleans, maybe more than some other folks around the league who didn't watch him as closely. Um, and so I, I could see that being the perception around the league as Josh makes, makes a jump. But I think, um, I, I think Nikhil's got the best shot to make a, a real leap just based on where he was last year. That was going to be my answer. But I, since you chose Nikhil, <laughs> I guess he's low-hanging fruit, you know, because you said he yeah. sucked. He was just terrible. <laughs> right. um, but... Uh, my answer then would be Nicola Melli because, again, I think he came into the NBA. Uh, he was coming off of knee surgery, and it takes a little bit to recover from that, get your legs in. Everything was completely new to him, from the travel to the team to the style to the physicality, all the above. And he's got a year under his belt. He's a seasoned player. I think he'll have a more defined role with with uh, Stan Van Gundy um, because of Stan Van Gundy provides more structure to the offense. And so uh, he's used to working with stretch bigs. You'll know how to utilize him. I think, too, um, the offense is going to be catered towards, you know, getting him more shots rather than it being a free-flowing thing. And, you know, players are doing they're, – they're improving out there. Um, there there's going to be set things designed to take advantage of, of what he does. And so I think, one, just the year of, of stability uh, where, you know, he's healthy and he's had that experience and then – the the offense being more structured is is going to help him and so i think they're really going to lean on him as as the third big off off the bench yeah uh, i can see that um am i allowed to expand to uh to players who were on the pelicans last year but are this past year but not ne- next year sure because i'm going i'm going back to uh to to williams with uh with okc now uh kenny oh hustle God. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think he's going to get a real opportunity with the, with the Thunder. And I think, he, you know, if he can stay healthy, um, I, I think you'd, find, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find people who would say he wouldn't have helped New Orleans given their other injury issues um, th- this year. Um, you know, I, I know he had some pretty bad back issues. And, but um, I think – and he, he had this horrible stretch of shooting that was just like un – uh, like it doesn't – it's not a representation of, of his – like he's not a great shooter, but like he was just – awful and, and so I don't think that would have continued and so I, I am I am really looking forward to seeing what he can do with more opportunities because I think OKC should be able to to, to give him um and uh, which is kind of, it's kind of funny that Frank Jackson's there too, now too right like I don't I don't know if they keep Gray and and they our, signed uh, Frank Jackson intentionally <laughs> that was a conscious decision I know they had like 24 <laughs> players on their roster and they had just traded for Ken Rich and Zylan and, and Josh Gray, who both of them, they, they waived, by the way, which I think you were about to ask. And then they're like, you know what we need? We need Frank Jackson. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, they said that. That was a conscious choice and still funny. But, um, but yeah, I'm just trying to – I'm thinking about some of the other guys who are not on the team anymore. Like, like I, I do not see Ja having a Christian Wood revival in Detroit like, like Wood did last year. I don't think that's happening. Um, but, uh, and I am, I am super curious to see what Derek favors the jazz get next year. Like maybe, maybe he was just chronically unhealthy in his year in New Orleans. And I, and I know maybe he wasn't thrilled to be, to be there, but I, I, I just don't, I, I'm, I'm that contract blew me away when I saw it. Um, I think I'm sure it blew you away too, based on what we were talking about his market value being. Uh, and I guess, I guess we'll, we'll see, maybe he's just a better fit in Utah than he, than he was in New Orleans. Yeah, the favors thing was funny because we kind of briefly discussed it. They could have turned that into a sign and trade and picked up a couple of bigs in the process and picks and picks, you know, um, and that that would have been interesting. You're right. I don't. I have no idea what favors is going to be like. The, all the all the reports were that his his body just wasn't holding up, but you know, maybe he was just dogging it. Maybe he just didn't really care that much about being on this team and 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 was just looking for a way back to Utah, and he's he's home, so. Good for good for him. I think the Jazz are going to be a pretty good team this year. Um, you know they were they were 
missing Bogdanovich in the bubble and you know they picked up a finally a stable backup center in, in Favors who I think Favors is perfectly suited for a backup role even with limited mobility uh that's you know he probably might be the best backup center in the league uh, I haven't really looked at a list of back backup centers but he's good for him um yep. But, yeah, I mean, I think the other Pelican player that signed elsewhere was Etwan Moore, who went for the minimum to yeah. to Phoenix, which, again, they picked up a good good shooter, good vet, but they also then just went and signed Langston Galloway, who does the same thing. Um, yeah. And that's going to be interesting. I mean, they don't have that many playmakers outside of Booker and, and CP3, but they, they they added some players, man. They got Jay Crowder, they got CP3. They're, they're going to be a team – to watch um but you know the pelicans have to take care of their own business and i i hope that you know guys like Nikhil and, and melly improve i hope jackson improves and they, there's a path to them actually being viable nba players this year rather than human victory cigars or you know 20 out 20 down players but you know that that remains to be seen the one thing i am confident is that van gundy will have them way more prepared than the alvin than alvin ever did yeah, yeah, uh, f- for sure. And I was gonna go and ask. I think we let's say this for an, for our next podcast, talking about like where the Pels stack up in the in the West. I think that'll be a good discussion for uh, for for next time. But, um, but yeah, um, looking forward to it. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, folks. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.